Welcome back. You're tuned in to Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast. I'm Jason P. Woodbury, and each week I bring you a conversation about art with an artist I admire. The idea is that these talks can go wherever and drift into strange and fascinating new zones. And that's certainly the case with this week's interview with Phil Elverum of the Microphones and Mount Erie. When did you first hear Elverum? I was introduced to his stuff in the mid-2000s, when a friend passed on the suggestion that I check out his work from earlier in the decade, records like It Was Hot, We Stayed in the Water, and the remarkable LP The Glow Part Two. I hadn't heard anything like them. The music felt contradictory, somehow wide open and also intimately close, as if my ear were pressed up to the speaker. It was scary sounding sometimes, but gorgeous too. Elverum's sonic worlds have continued to develop. In 2003, he abandoned the name The Microphones and embarked upon a series of records under the Mount Erie moniker. They not only retained that sense of spaciousness, but greatly expanded on it, incorporating the influence of black metal and extended song lines. In 2016, Genevieve Castre, an illustrator, musician, and cartoonist, and also Phil's wife and the mother of their daughter, passed away from pancreatic cancer. Phil recorded a set of harrowing, beautiful, and extraordinarily human albums after the experience, including A Crow Looked at Me, Now Only, and Lost Wisdom Part Two. Along the way, he married actress Michelle Williams and moved to New York City, though that relationship has since ended and he and his daughter are back in the Pacific Northwest these days. It's hard to sum up Elverum's story, but in a weird way, that's kind of what he does on his new record, The Microphones in 2020, which features one 44-minute long song. It's his first time using the microphone's name since 2003, and to hear him express it, it's an album about identity. While it's no less autobiographical than his recent records, it is a step in a different direction. Temporal poetry about transience and the way a person becomes a different person. But somehow, it's also about how they stay the same person. Once again, we're dabbling in paradox and contradiction. Phil Elverum created a film to go along with it, in which he displays decades worth of personal photographs, occasionally brushing them from the frame, where they are replaced by new images. And that's where we find Phil, in the midst of trying to figure out how time shapes and creates us, and how we shape and conceive of time. Microphones in 2020 is available on compact disc and vinyl this week. You can get it at Bandcamp, of course, as well. And I highly recommend it. It's a one-of-a-kind listening experience. Okay, that's enough scene setting. Let's head into my talk with Phil Elverum. I'll speak with you more on the other side. You're tuned into Transmissions. It's nice to have you along. Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. It's really great to have you, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with you about uh, about this new this new record, Microphones, in 2020. My pleasure. Uh, the listeners won't know this, but we've had a, a charming back and forth uh, and uh, all sorts of tech issues. So maybe we should start there. How has interacting with technology uh, been for you in, in quarantine? We're in this weird position where all of a sudden, all of the things that we're used to in terms of hanging out with people and seeing people in person, and for you, you know, a life on the road playing music, all of that has stopped dramatically and we've been forced to sort of figure out alternate ways to talk with each other and connect with each other so i I wonder if we could start there uh has has this transition to a a mostly uh digital space for uh for conversations and planning and all of the other normal things that go along with life has that been a comfortable uh a comfortable shift for you yeah it's been if anything, it's made me uh, understand more clearly how little interaction <laughs> I need or <laughs> rely on. Yeah, it's maybe a little unsettling, actually, how comfortable I am with. Yeah, I don't. I don't do Zoom calls with my friends. There was one with my family that was. Yeah, it's just not good. The hard part is with the kid. I've got this five-year-old, and um, 
yeah, it just doesn't work for that age. Especially her school was trying to do some Zoom stuff at the beginning. And yeah, a a toddler or a five-year-old high-energy kid doesn't want to look at the screen to see her friends. But for me personally, no problem. Uh, So, you know, I have to imagine that as far as quarantine goes, uh, it's mostly been you hanging out with with your daughter um yep mono has, mono <laughs> yeah so, so it's, it's just the two of you uh i wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what your your general sort of day-to-day routine is if, if you've set one up with with her it didn't yeah it just sort of naturally developed in uh, uh mid-march when school stopped we we just fell into a daily routine that actually i it felt really good to me. I, I enjoyed it a lot and involved a midday excursion to a different place each day, like a different uh, outdoor, beautiful, scenic place, like a beach or a forest or a mountain. We're fortunate to live on this island that has all these things on it. So, And we weren't interacting with other people, packing a lunch, bringing like lots of snacks and going on kind of a hike, spending... I don't know, three or four hours just out there um, in the world. It, it was nice. And doing a little bit of school-adjacent work, but mostly just existing. I got really into whittling for a little bit there, <laughs> like whittling sticks every day for no reason at all. That felt good. It wasn't that long ago that you were you were in New York, right? You lived in New York for, for a for a spell. When was that? Uh, it was mm, 2018, basically, like most of 2018. And then we got back here. We moved back in um, spring of 2019. I have to imagine that the thought has crossed your, your, your mind maybe at least once that you're probably in a better position for quarantining there on the island than you would be uh, in, in New York. Yeah, in in most places it seems like this this island is uh it's great for quarantining except for if there were were to be a big outbreak here. We don't have a hospital. So that as long as as long as it's not a hot spot, then it's a great place to be. But Oh yeah, if, you'd have to Yeah. Oof. That's why it's so now it's like summertime and there's tons of tourists coming and it's so stressful to see these uh, boatloads unloading of of tourists without masks and it's just nuts. So it's a little scary. We'll see what happens. Well, I mean, obviously, I hope that nothing nothing happens and that everything goes good. And they all take up whittling as well, and uh, it doesn't you know turn into any sort <laughs> yeah. of a nightmare situation. But um, but yeah, I, you know, um, we spoke a little bit about this in the uh, the other attempt at talking, but. When it comes to to thinking about artists who sort of make sense in a in a quarantine world, uh, you know, your music uh, it doesn't it's it's not incongruous, you know, to think about you. Uh, so often, this image has been created of you as a creator, sort of hanging out, somewhat isolated. And you know, making these really introspective uh, and layered layered records, but but um, something that this this new record really gets into is just how much of your life has been defined by time on the road and being out with people and connecting with people in really you know usually fairly intimate sort of art spaces, places where people could make very lasting connections, you know. Um, and so I, I wonder if that that perception of you as this sort of isolated this isolated guy maybe uh, feels a little bit at odds with your actual lived reality. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point or observation. It's true. There is there's a contradiction there between my reality and the the vibe that you get from the music that is inward looking and introspective. Uh, yeah, I've made all of this music that is about it, you know, this hermit music um, while I was living among people 
even like yeah like the micro early microphones albums when i was living in olympia around friends and a lot of collaboration and stuff the reality of me making those actual recordings and writing those actual songs i would sort of sneak away and do it mostly in private even though most of my life was this like utopian <laughs> commune type of experience but so yeah both of those things are true at the same time I'm not sure how they interact. As far as the perception of me, uh, I'm sure that I'm partly to blame for that, but I don't know (laughs) exactly what I did to cultivate it. Um, I've always lived among people in town, and uh, but at the same time, I think that there's so much value to solitude and... um, Simplicity. Uh, microphones in 2020. Was this a record that you made? Uh, when, when about did you record this record? Was this something that, that came, you hatched up during quarantine? No. It, I started working on it in May of 2019. Originally it was called Microphones in 2019, but I just didn't finish it that year. <laughs> it took me... <laughs> A year to make. So, yeah, I, I did finish it up at, at the beginning of quarantine, uh, this current quarantine. But, no, it's it does seem like the type of record that would get made in a pandemic quarantine. But, no, it's not. Happened to be made before then. This record, I mean, you said that it took you a year to make it. But it's accurate enough to say that it actually took, you know... 20 something years to make it in a lot of ways (laughs) because uh because this record goes about doing something that very few artists do which is is really summing up and um exploring and sort of unpacking what a life in music looks like i i suppose lots of artists do things like that you know like that but not with a degree of uh openness and transparency as you do on this record um this record sums up just so much experience and 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 really offers up even some ideas about what you hope to accomplish with your music the spirit that you hope to evoke the feelings that you sort of hope to create and that right that's just a really that's a really surprising and interesting thing um and, and and I wondered if we could kind of go back to, to when this group started, the microphones, I think, uh, you know, technically, this group, which is you, you know, you are the mm. the core of this thing. Right. In, in, in 97, I think you, you said it was. Um, and I wondered if when you started writing songs, when you started putting projects together as the microphones, did you have any sense of that thing that you wanted to accomplish, that you that you so beautifully lay out on, on, on this new record? Or was that something that's developed over time or something that's even sort of come into view for you in the last couple of years? I, yeah, it's a moving target. I, at the moment, maybe I have a clearish idea of what I want to accomplish, but it's, it's always evolving and definitely not when I was a teenager. It, it, I mostly wasn't even like writing words at the beginning. It was truly just a a sound recording experiment, just learning the equipment and and loving the raw experience of recording sounds. And I wrote, I started writing words because I felt like the songs were incomplete without them. And over the years, sort of got more and more into the writing aspect of it. But yeah, at first I wasn't trying to say anything. I guess, yeah, I, it was very much, and it, it remains like a internal exploration project, trying to sort of metabolize and, and hone an understanding of my own experience as a person and make it something like useful and distilled, I guess, distill the raw mass of words that happen in my mind into something like understandable and relatable and useful this record you know it was a little bit difficult to come up with questions to ask you because you do so much explaining on this record Uh, but i don't mean that in any sort of weird 
you know, annoying or, uh, you know, not artful way. You know, a lot of times when an artist mm-hmm. says, I'm going to explain what I mean, you know, it, you, you get the sense that they're robbing the listener of some essential mystery or some enjoyable mystery. Um, there's none of that happening on this at mm-hmm. all. You know, you still leave lots of room for, uh, for sort of mystique and, and personal interpretation, but you are quite direct in sort of recounting and documenting these massive shifts and these massive moments in your life where art came into focus for you, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I tr- the, the job I gave myself was to try and understand and then communicate what the microphones was <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it, I didn't want to step back into like using my old band name to like, you know, milk some more money out of it or whatever. I just, uh, I, but I, so the story behind why this exists is that I played a show last summer here, like a small local music festival show uh, that was sort of a reunion of a bunch of old friends and the same lineup of the sh- same festival we put on in 2003. And since it was the same lineup, I just put the microphones on the bill instead of me or Mount Erie or something else. And that was it. Like I hadn't thought it through beyond that. But th- after I announced that, then people were like, oh, there's a microphones show. <laughs> and so it made me start thinking about about what that even means and it made me get like deeply reflective about my own past and wanting to understand what what is the microphones what was that thing that I did who was I during this little window of time five or six or seven years in my early 20s and uh so yeah the project was to try and paint some like vignettes uh and and get down to some like crucial turning points and definitive moments that evoke who I was and what was going on in my world that that say what that time was. And then further, like what of that time lives with me still and like informs who I currently am and actually nothing ends. And it's all just like an ongoing, well, in, in the song, I use the metaphor of a waterfall a lot. You'd also say it's all a compost pile. I I I took note of the waterfall metaphor. The compost pile is also wonderful because it's this idea of things breaking down and I guess becoming new things. And that's sort of the thing about right. That's sort of the thing about your your art project, you know, which encompasses records under lots of names, but certainly under the name microphones, Mount Erie, your own your own name. Um, did the did the notice that people took of you adopting one of those identities, one of those those names, microphones? Did people paying attention to that in a a way that was maybe slightly different? Did that surprise you? Were you or or, or did 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 something feel interesting in that notion that you use this name and it and it meant something to people uh that maybe you hadn't even thought about when you threw that name on the flyer yeah for sure but it wasn't it wasn't out of nowhere like i knew that there was people there was like a level of confusion and association that people had out there with um microphones versus as distinct from mount erie for me it's not distinct it's just like different uh like mile markers along the route of this project this road that's all like one thing it's a stream of projects that i'm working on and it's they just have to be named and i decided that the microphones was irrelevant at one point and changed it to this other thing that felt more relevant mount erie but which also often feels irrelevant but yeah the amount of 
the amount of name talk is kind of exhausting. I've had friends who are musicians who are like, I think I want to change my band name. And I'm always like, don't do it. It's such a pain in the ass. You have to talk about it forever. And in 20 years, you're going to be making an album about <laughs> about the name. That's what I've done. Yeah. I, I'm not actually, you... I don't want to make an album about the name. It's. I'm trying to go so much deeper than that superficial label. It's more just about... Uh, the layers of our of personal history that we all carry around. That's what I'm interested in talking about. You know, yeah. You you say in the writing that accompanies this that that names names mean nothing. You know mm-hmm. that that names are are sort of a a dumb concern, and <laughs> I uh, I can't stop thinking about how you say that. But the record's called Microphones in 2020, so it's almost like you're inviting I know. <laughs> uh, that, that strangeness. And so, I mean, is that a way, like, you're talking about, I guess, really identity. You know, you're talking about the layers that make up an identity on this record. And, uh, and it's really gorgeous, and it's a really, it's a really, um, it's a really beautiful album, and it's, uh, you know, intense, too, uh, so I mean when you when you have gone to put a name on any of your projects um is there something creative engaging about the idea of creating uh, a new identity for the songs to maybe live in no uh, or is it no it's just is is it it's just marketing basically <laughs> well yeah it's somewhere in between there it's it has to have a name. I, I know that I want to make work that's not under the name Phil Elvram. So it's when I was a teenager, I had a couple of tapes under different names, and then I settled on this microphone's name, which felt good for five years or so. And then it, I realized I'm not singing about recording equipment anymore. I should update my name so it's more relevant to a more potent idea. And so it was Mount Erie. And I don't know if that's relevant or potent anymore, but it has to have a name. You have to call it something. You can't just put out an album of songs with no identity behind it. Or you can, and and maybe like Bandcamp is full of them, uh, or the internet is full of um, anonymous music. But I I like the idea of having an umbrella that's an extension of the creative work. Similar to, like, I love making an album cover. I love the multimedia broad um, definition of what this art form can be. You you talk about how, on, on the record, you know, nostalgia is... Uh... I think you, you I think you used the phrase and this is actually probably in the letter that that accompanied the album in my inbox but I think you used the phrase nostalgia is embarrassing and I wondered yeah, uh, if it's true does it so so why is nostalgia embarrassing uh in your in your opinion because it's like um I had a friend visit I had some like visitors last night and one of them was talking about an old hippie guy they knew who used to be in a band and Jerry Garcia came to see them play one time and they talk about it in, in like 1971, this happened. And this old hippie is talking about this constantly now, still. Like, that's embarrassing. <laughs> the hanging on to your, your former glory. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, it's much more, I don't know, cool. Or it's, it's more who I want to be to um, move into the future with letting go of the past. And which seems like maybe a counterintuitive thing for me to say, having made this thing that I value letting go of the past. But but honestly, I made this thing to like examine the past, chew it up and then like arrive in the present moment. And I feel like I say that in the song a bunch of times, like waking up unencumbered. I wake up with the sun in my eyes like. Yeah, there's like lots of points in the album where that's what I'm trying to say. It's, um, we carry around a bag of hammers, but we can like still wake up unburdened. It seems to me like part of what you're saying on this record, it feels almost 
you talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on this record, and I'm not going to bring that movie up because I actually haven't watched it in a very long time. I don't remember it as well as I as I as I should. But I will talk about. Have you seen the movie Arrival? Yeah, a long time ago. So in that, you know, Amy Adams learns to speak this alien language that. Uh, Basically, speaking in this language, all of the tenses are kind of mixed up, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not a past tense, there's not a future tense, there's not a present tense. It's everything, all the various tenses kind of at once. Hmm. And I feel like to some degree that's sort of what you're doing on this record. Hmm. Your last couple albums have very explicitly and beautifully and and at times... You know, the last couple Mount Erie things have been too much for me to listen to on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine at all what it's like to make them and then also sing them to people, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any any of those songs. But but it feels to me like, you know, you you were really examining the second by second feelings Mm -hmm. on the last couple Mount Erie records. So as far as a palate cleanser goes, maybe that's the wrong term to use. It's it's probably an offensive term to use, actually. But <laughs> in terms of like what you're trying to do with this one, it, it doesn't feel to me like you're singing exclusively about the past. It seems to me like you're singing about the person who lived things that made them into made them into who they are right now. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that's wild. That's a wild thing to do. Um, <laughs> well, isn't that I wonder, what art is? Isn't that what art or like can be or should be? Is the person who's making it like examining their experience and then like translating that into something new, something transcendent of the self? I feel like that. Well, that's, that's my idea yeah. of it. Well, that's the hope, right? I mean, you know. Um, I know that at one point, and I don't know where you're at in this process, but you were working on a, a sort of a book, right? Something that was almost like a personal history or a family history, uh, if I have that right. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, um, various books and and yeah, yeah, totally. That's some. So 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 you know, your music has often been very intimate and autobiographical. Um, I wondered if 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 this idea of tracing where you come from, uh, you know, maybe genealogically or, you know, whatever, if that influenced the direction of, of this record, um, or if they are just two separate projects that, you know, kind of ride the same sort of tailwinds essentially in your, in your heart. They're separate projects. Yeah. It's with this project, I wasn't actually trying to make a functional autobiography or a or a history in any way it was more poetic than that or more metaphorical i i looked at the past and i actually like got out the old notebooks and tried to remember what year i did this thing and like what a day-to-day life was like because i did keep a journal so I, i reviewed that but i didn't that's not what i wanted the song to feel like I only reviewed it so that I could get at the essence of it. And then I talked about a few little things like watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon at a dollar theater in Aberdeen uh, alone. And um, somehow felt like that moment encapsulated the whole project or at least encapsulated one pivotal moment. Was that because that was an experience that you had where you engaged with something beautiful or interesting or strange or or weird is i mean is that well yeah the crouching tiger hidden dragon moment specifically was the moment that i'm deciding at least i like i'm doing a little maybe revisionist history but i'm deciding that's the moment where uh my goal with this music project with the stuff i was writing about shifted away from like wallowing and sorrow and it shifted a little bit more towards beautiful transcendence with maybe a little bit of um like Taoism or buddhism even because that movie even though it's like an action movie or this like you know this chinese fantasy um it has these beautiful moments that are so 
peaceful and empty and open and just graceful. And I felt like I wanted to, I wanted to create that amount of space in my cacophonous music. Uh, the parts where they're, yeah, floating in the bamboo, that weightless martial art, that sword fighting scene. And when she, when she like catches the teacup, there's this one like moment where they're having tea up in this little tea house and surrounded by bamboo. Like this, I don't know, the cinematic feel, the way that the light was, the way that the sound was, it just hit me hard when I was 22 or 23. And I realized that I didn't want to make more songs that were about like, I'm so sad because she doesn't love me, period. I wanted to make songs that were like, I might be sad because she doesn't love me. And also, existence is amazing. And did you know that the moon is an actual ball of rock in outer space? And da-da-da-da-da. Like, I wanted to expand uh, my experience and, and include that in the music. All right. Let's take a minute now to hear about our sponsor. Creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms might help people find your work, but they don't always get you paid. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per-stream payouts and grow your creative career through the direct support of the people who care most, your fans. Since Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, you can skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a monthly membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken, so if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on Patreon.com now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve. All right, let's get back to transmissions. You also talk uh, another sort of one of those moments where something shifts inside you. You talk about seeing Stereo Lab mm -hmm. and 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 this moment yeah. where they play, you know, a single chord for an extended period of time. I think you say 15 minutes, you know. Um Mm -hmm. What kind of shift are you talking about there where, you know, had you already, you know, you, you talk about other things you were into, you know, Eric's trip and Nirvana and, you know, obviously you've, you've got this like long history with the folks at K Records. So there are all these sort of musical ancestors that you do sort of tip your hat to. But I, I'm curious about, about that mm -hmm. shift where you hear Stereolab do something. Had you already experienced sort of music with that kind of extremity happening uh, or, or is that what you're talking about there that you realized that, that a single chord repeated could say something that maybe a bunch of other chords all strung wonderfully together couldn't say. Yes, that it was a musical revelation. I, I was a teenager. They came and played in Bellingham at the, at the college there and it was the best show I've ever seen. I, maybe still is. I don't know. It, it. The chord was at the end of Low Boob Oscillator, their song that maybe they're known yeah. for, you know, it just ends on this long chord and this drone with no singing. It was just like this kind of endless thing. And yeah, it was the my introduction to drone as a possibility and what can happen when you... When, as a listener, you get pushed beyond your tolerance level. Um, my friends and I had heard Earth before because they were on Sub Pop and we loved, like, everything on Sub Pop. So we had surely heard the Earth records, which were even longer drone things. But I don't think we were ready for them. We were teenagers and we, did, we liked, you know, Nirvana and Dinosaur Jr. We liked catchy songs that rocked. And so something as bare bones as Earth 2, which is like a 30-minute drone, we didn't know what to make of it. And now I love it, but at right. the time, I just like didn't have the, the mental capacity for it, I think. 
So that Stereo Lab show was you sort of understanding that things can, that that kind of um, sort of outlandish form of expression, you know, where it's this like simple thing just repeated. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel I, I feel like obviously distortion is is a part of what you have done over the course of your career. Um, Definitely. And you've, and there's a lot of beautiful layering and, uh, you know, sort of like, I think of it almost as like fuzz as like a compositional tool, you know? Um, you talked about the metaphor of a, of a waterfall. And when I think about uh, that metaphor, I, I end up thinking about the way your records sound and the way you sometimes bury things underneath these sort of rushing waves of, of hmm. sound. Um when you were when you were first making records under the name microphones you you alluded to this earlier too you said that that you were singing sort of about the process of recording mm -hmm. itself that you were listening listening to the technology sort of sing back mm -hmm. to you um did making this record require any sort of reconnecting with that earlier sense that you had that you were listening to the the machines hum back or was that something that you sort of learned and then it just became a part of, of what happens every time you, you sit down to make something? Yes. I, it did make me reconnect with an older way of recording. And I started recording it on the computer just because I knew I wanted it to be as long as it is. And uh, a reel of tape only holds like 32 minutes. So that's not long enough for me. I, so I couldn't record, record it on my 8-track. Right. Um, but yeah, I did record portions of it on the 8-track and then bounced them onto the computer. And then I've... Uh, yeah, whatever I do next is going to be recorded on tape. I, it just has pushed me back into the older way. The more obsolete, annoying, always breaking, expensive, impossible analog recording world i'm back in it i left for a little bit for the last few records because just uh, out of necessity for the efficiency due to my the con constraints of my life as a single parent i had to just record get the song recorded in the simplest way possible but yeah i i love that the tactile slow distortion you can get from these old tools plus uh, the instruments I used are are my oldest, earliest, first things. I, I used my first acoustic guitar, my first electric guitar, this, the air organ. It's all the same stuff that I've used since the very beginning. And not, I didn't have to like dig it back out of storage or anything. It's just these are still the only things I have. <laughs> I've done all the albums on these things. Yeah, that's that's helpful. So it's not like getting the band back together in terms of like setting the the tools, you know, up in a circle around you and now now I'm surrounded by these things. This is just so it's it's it sounds like it's kind of both. It sounds like it's it's you yeah. it's you, you know, reconnecting with something but also you know just continuing the thread and that's really what's so beautiful uh, about this you know you sing on the album about how unresolved memories can feel um mm -hmm. and i've been thinking a lot about that because i keep i found myself saying things uh you know during quarantine or whatever or this pandemic in general, where I, I've heard myself saying things like, when this is all over, I'm going to do this or that, you know? Um, right, yeah. And it's so funny to imagine that there's going to be some sort of demarcation point where, like, all the danger has evaporated. That that doesn't happen, you know? That's not the way anything works. Um, <laughs> right. And you sing also on this record, you sing, I keep on not dying. Uh, and that's one of the... <laughs> God, that's the that's the line that like kind of like sticks with me that kind of haunts me because it it feels hmm. to me like this record as much as it is a record of your personal history and as much as it is a sort of poetic exploration of the various people you are it also feels to me like it's an exploration of the way time just passes that it's not a mm -hmm. it's not a, a process that we can we can point out 
uh, here's how it works. It's just sort of this continual thing. Um, mm-hmm. At the risk of sounding a little bit like a dunce, does one long song that unfolds slowly the way this one does, that sort of takes its time, you know, did that feel like that was crucial for you in terms of getting that sense of time's slow, bewildering journey into this particular project? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly it. I wanted it to seem like um, a river that is long and there's different points along it and you're just kind of in it. That The song starts with seven or more minutes of just the guitars going back and forth. And that's definitely based on that stereo lab experience of wanting to like wear down people's sense of where they were before they started listening to the song. Just sort of spend a long time compelling the listener to, um, yeah, let the, the outside world fall away. And just like you, these chords have always been playing. You can't remember a time from before the guitar started because it's just all there is is this the sound of this these chords that's what i like about drone and that's what i like about yeah it's sort of like i i wanted to start with a hypnotism to begin it your last few records dealt very um directly with the death of of your wife genevieve and 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 your the you know the dissolution of of your second marriage um Mm-hmm. What did making those records teach you uh, about what you wanted to do with this one? They taught me maybe something that I didn't. It, they like gave me advice that I didn't follow. I think <laughs> they Perf- left perfect. <laughs> yeah, they made me feel like, ugh, I hope I can stop writing uh, autobiographically. <laughs> Uh oh. <laughs> and I still hope that. I mean, not. I actually don't hope that because I. I also feel like, what else can I speak about other than my own experience or my own understanding of things? Um, I maybe am just. Hopefully, can like steer myself towards a little more ambiguity or a little more um, poetry in it. I don't know how else to put it less of an accounting of events and more um, some, I don't know, more fluid statements or something. Well, so this record has a bunch of those too. You know, they kind of accompany, yeah. they kind of accompany these scenes. Um, and and, it, and it, it made me think a lot about, um, about the way that, the specific informs the universal, you know? Um, at least that's the, that's the idea. Yeah. I, there's this kind of poetry that I really like, and I haven't seen that much of, but it's a, like a form called haibun, which is Japanese, and it's related to haiku, I think. And my understanding is that it's like a paragraph or so of prose and then a haiku at the end or, or a, you know, a very short poem at the very end, just a few lines. And I love the interplay between those two components of it because it's, it's kind of what we're talking about. Like you, the, the paragraph of prose is um, grounded and, and, and telling a, a story about like the, you know, the river was going down, the market was open that day that I went to the shop and I bought a basket and the cherry blossoms were falling down. But then I looked over and saw my aunt and she was like, it's not in the form of poetry. But then when the poem part comes in at the end, it's like, it feels like the blade slicing cleanly through and it, it makes each component much richer they, they somehow enrich each other so beautifully and i feel like i in a way tried to do that with the way i wrote this song there are these long pretty overtly autobiographical things where i'm talking about whatever a camping trip with my family when i was um 15 and then a few lines at the, after it like it that sets the scene and then i say a few lines that are like 
meaning gets attributed wherever appetite bestows a thing with resonating, um, whatever I say. Yeah. And yeah, that I I like the juxtaposition of the the poetic and the non-poetic. Well, it's 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 an artful way to evoke the sense of perception and the sense of uh I mean all our memories are, right? Are are things that we keep in our brain that basically make up the entire contents of our brain, you know? Um and so <laughs> and so I think about how, you know, I can tell a story from my childhood and at the time of the the when the story occurred, you know, it didn't mean anything. Um Right. My my brother and I getting into a fight in 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 my bedroom, you know, or whatever and and him punching me in the face it didn't mean anything at the time you know except that i right. i pissed my brother off and he punched me in the face you know but um but now it feels like it means so much you know what i mean like it feels like it was like this yeah, yeah. this moment that and i i had put zero thought to thinking about that specific example but but when i think about it now it feels just like absolutely um heavy with meaning and heavy with like a uh, significance. And I feel like that's, that's part of what you're talking about on this is that all of these things that we experience turn us into the people that we are. Um, and who we are is a constantly changing, changing thing. Um, mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. Exactly. And I think we really need to think about that right now because mm-hmm. we're in a we're in a situation where it's it's becoming harder for people to imagine the future um it's becoming harder f- i shouldn't right. i shouldn't put it in terms of other people it's it's becoming harder for me to imagine the future um and i think i think you're right though it people are also attaching so much significance on this like solution or this moment where like all our troubles will be over when we when this happens or that, when Trump's out of office or when we have a vaccine or, um, but when the reality is that, <laughs> um, life is a ongoing chaotic, yeah, a waterfall yeah. is my metaphor. It's moving. It's moving all around us. Yeah. And it's not only not, that's wrong. It's not moving all around us. It's moving us along, you know, and we have to remember that like, right. we are not separate from that process, that we are just as shaped by it as anything. Um, yeah you you included you included like a you made a little a short film to go along with this record well it's not short it's the, it's the length of the record um in yeah. which you 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 set out these photos from mm-hmm. from your life and and from these last 20 something years how did you go about selecting what photos you were going to pick and and then how did you go about ordering them was it a was there some sort of automatic yeah. process to it? No, it was really, it was really involved. It took me weeks actually to sort them out, and only only because of this quarantine was I able to do something as ridiculous as that. But yeah, I, w- I went through all of my photos. I think there's 850 or so photos in that video, and I went through all the prints that I have and put them into different categories. I think I broke the song into 13 different sections with a different like theme or, or era for each section. And, um, yeah, I put the photos and and I figured out how many photos, like based on the, the count of measures and the number of beats in the measure, man, I'm getting really specific to answer your question, but, uh, I love it. Yeah, I, I like mathematically broke down based on the length of each of the verses and how long the sections took, how many photos were needed for each section. So I was like, okay, for my trip to Norway, that part of the song, I need 68 photos. And so I would make a pile and figure out what order. And then I, once I had those different piles, then I would go through line by line and choose, okay, I say the words this, what photo from these 68 is the best suited for that line? And so I wanted there to be maximum impact, the association between each lyric and each photo. I, 
I think it's such a beautiful thing to watch and it's really moving to see it. Um, I think that there could be maybe, uh, I think people might assume listening to this. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly the right way to phrase this. Um, it sounds like that's a pretty involved process and I'm glad you got as detailed as you did because I, I, I could imagine somebody listening to this record and thinking that you wrote all this stuff out sort of stream mm-hmm. of conscious and that, uh, and that we're being presented with your, with your stream of conscious sort of exploration of yourself. But yeah, totally. But, but People have asked me like, Oh, so how'd you record this? Did you just basically like press record and then like say whatever shit came out of your mouth? <laughs> See, it's but that's such a silly that's such a but... silly that's such a silly thing to imagine because uh well I hope that this doesn't bum this guy out too much. I doubt he listens. But you at one point you referenced Mark Kozalik or you referenced the Red House Painters actually. Uh uh-huh. one of my all-time favorite bands and I sometimes I listen to the the more modern Mark Kozalik records and I I wonder if that is actually what he's doing, which is just like writing a topic down and then just rambling about it. Um, I don't get the sense from listening to this at all. And I also apologize to Mark Kozalik if I'm mischaracterizing what he does. Um, but but what, what role does editing play in terms of your, your work? I mean, I have to imagine that you have to be sort of a ruthless editor uh, to avoid that kind of nostalgia embarrassment that we talked about a while ago. Yeah, I... I agonized over it. I mean, it took me a year to to make this, and most of that year was writing. It was it was writing and erasing, and there there are many versions of the song that have vast passages that got cut out. Like I went into great detail about this one road trip that I made in 1997 across Canada, and I just cut it out because I felt like. Oh, yeah, it didn't need to be there. There's a there's a whole big section about Weird Al that didn't make it into the <laughs> song. So a lot Wait, of editing. <laughs> you cut out some Weird Al content? Yeah, I did. I had to. Didn't make the cut, unfortunately. Well, maybe that can be. Maybe eventually you can do when you do a sequel to this one, the way you did a sequel to. Oh my God. To Lost Wisdom. Imagine? You could do microphones in 2020 parentheses weird owl passages. Um, yeah, maybe in like love- microphones in 2030. All in 10 yeah. years, we'll <laughs> check it out. Yeah, and then you'll have to deal with some musical, uh, you know, some 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 music journalists asking you again why you've returned to the microphones name, and you'll have to explain that, you know, for this weird owl stuff to feel authentic, you had to. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's beautiful, though, and I think that it's it's it would be silly to 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 assume that that what you're doing is it, this isn't this isn't automatic writing. You know what I mean? This isn't necessarily stream of conscious. This is this is something different. Um, well, I think also the question arose because of the my like quote unquote singing style can often seem uh, non melodic or like it's just kind of kind of bouncing along but the truth is that it's it's i sing it the same every time for me that's just what music seems like to me <laughs> it's uh it's on a grid for sure like i know where the syllables are supposed to fall in relation to the rhythm maybe yeah. just is like deceptively arrhythmic yeah but i mean that's what makes you oh, that nobody else makes a record that sounds like your records you know and mm-hmm. so understanding that about your yourself is is so crucial mm-hmm. you 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 end this record by i think <laughs> you you end this record uh basically by sort of wishing that you didn't have to say anything on this record that it could just <laughs> exist you know um uh-huh. and i love that and i think you said if there have to be words you know and then you cite now only and there there is no end you know um now only from the album of the same name that that's a really special song for me uh, and i and i want to i want to talk a tiny bit about that that's about your experiences at at form right the music festival yeah. at, at arco santi yeah that's part yeah. of it yeah well so so i was there uh at that show i saw that 
that performance. Um, hmm. And you were hanging out by Skrillex's tour bus, as you describe in the song. I saw him at the pool. You know, I didn't go in the pool. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to take my shirt off at form and get in the pool with all of these like supermodel kids around me. Um, (laughs) But, but you know, you're, you're talking about your set at that show. And um, I remember the feeling of it, right? I was there uh, with my wife, Becky and some friends and it was really gorgeous out and it was a beautiful setting. And you were singing these songs, uh, and I just remembered the sense of absurdity uh, to the whole to the whole moment, you know, mm-hmm. because you were sharing these things that were just so remarkably naked and honest mm-hmm. and painful. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered thinking, how weird is this sensation? You know, this thing. Yeah. And I and I started crying and I felt very moved and I was I was 100% okay with everything that was happening. I was very into it. Mm-hmm. But then on the way home we were thinking about it and it was just like, wow, that was such a strange thing to have ever happened because <laughs> what are the odds, you know? Uh just yeah. in general. And it it kind of got me thinking about the absurdity of anything and I feel like that's <laughs> another undercurrent of this record, right? Which mm-hmm. is just that how interesting and how strange and uh, how unlikely a scenario that you're able to make this record and have it go out into the world and have people interact with it. And uh, I don't know. I guess one of the things that we're all wondering about as we think about the future is what the future of, say, music might look like. Uh, How will people connect with things that they care about you know yeah with art that they care about and, and i wondered if maybe you're if you feel somewhat ahead of the curve in terms of people being able to interact with this thing that is so singularly you as a product you know as, a, as an idea not product product is a kind of a dismissive way to put it but hopefully what i'm saying kind of rings through my inarticulate stumbling do you feel like you've got uh, the inside track on how to create things that mean something to you and then get them to other people? No. No is the answer. But first, I want to go back and say how gratifying it is. The thing you said about seeing me play at form and then like thinking about the absurdity of just getting to experience anything at all. That is exactly it. And I, that song, this microphones album song thing ends with that. I say, uh, so what if I have to label this song microphones in 2020? I hope the absurdity that permeates everything joyfully rushes out and floods the room. And so that's exactly it. I want to get at that, like, even though with this song, I'm not talking about, um, the devastation of death and everything. I am trying to get at that the revelation of the absurd joy of anything. So yeah, it's nice that you got that. But in terms of your question of if I'm ahead of the curve about how to deliver art to people, no, I feel just baffled. I'm just doing my thing in the way that feels natural and and direct to me, which is mostly pressing vinyl and selling them as directly as possible to people which I don't think is a sustainable model, but I'm, I'm going as long as I can on that model. Is that the model that just, is that, is, is that just what made sense in your, in your younger days and you just figure that's, that's the way to do it for you? Well, yeah. And also that's what this art form is to me. It's very much tied to a physical artifact and now we live in a world where music doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a physical artifact. And in fact, it's like probably better for the future of the planet if there isn't a physical artifact. But I just, um, I don't know if I want to make music that doesn't have um, a 12 by 12 painting or photograph or whatever that you get to hold and look at. I love making things. I love making things and I love the 
person-to-person interaction of uh, of getting those things that I make to people. I don't love a phone or a computer. That yeah, I yeah, I want to have a hands-on life. Yeah, yeah. I think about how these these intimate first-person songs that you write, you know, you wrote about your experience at Form, and I got to listen to your experience at Form while thinking about my experience at Form. And and I wrote down this thing about how, like, wow, isn't that weird and cool? And, and, And then I realized that that's literally what happens anytime anybody listens to a song, you know, is that, (laughs) is that they fill in the gaps, right? You know, their life makes up the, the, the details that you provide in this song, this Mm -hmm. on this album, you know, you're writing about very specific things that happen to you. But when I listen to it, I know what you're talking about in so many ways because I've had things like that happen to me too, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, and I think about how interesting that is, and I think about how the specific and the universal are always tied together, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because we really can't have any any kind of perspective outside of our own in a weird way. Um, we, can, we can cultivate that, right? We can talk to each other about our perspectives. We can mm-hmm. share and... and uh, and offer that to each other. But, um, at the end of the day, you know, you're living inside your head and your body. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and I think recognizing that everybody else is doing that as well ends up, you know, kind of creating this bridge between, between the two, the two people and the two experiences. And they get to kind of be, we can, we can talk about how they're, they're more like one experience than we might necessarily think. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's maybe what this record does in such, a, such an interesting way. Um, and I think yeah, that's it's the, mind, the potential it, value of autobiography. It's like, well, who cares if, you, if I'm going to tell... What's the use of diving inward and telling you what I ate for breakfast in 2001? But the use is that bridge that you're talking about. The, the university universality that can be accessed by getting specific your your records are just soaked in that um and uh and when you talk about how you you want to write something um that's not autobiographical in the future you know or and maybe that's road a road you might go mm-hmm. down i mean i think it's probably uh it will be really cool when you do that too, you know, or the times you have done that as well, you know, but it's always informed by that. It's all, everything is informed by the, the weird things that we've experienced. And this record is like a, is a gorgeous long form document of, of all that. And, uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat through it with me. My pleasure. It was great. And I appreciate your patience with our technology bumbling around because, uh, it's uh when you that oh, yeah. part you said about uh you hate phones and computers i'm like yeah interviews are way easier to record when uh, we're both sitting in the same place you know yeah can you imagine maybe someday well hopefully um and phil thanks so much thanks so much for taking the time i appreciate it yeah no problem i'll talk to you another time That's going to bring our show this week to a close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can download it directly at AquariumDrunkard.com and hear it all the other places podcasts are available. I want to thank Phil Elverum for his patience and his honesty, and I really do hope he gets around to releasing those verses about Weird Al into the world. Don't you? Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions is supported by our patrons, so if you're able, head over to Patreon and offer up a few bucks a month to help us keep humming along. We, of course, understand that if you can't spare the bread right now, but we do want to make sure that Aquarium Drunkard is free and available to all, so if you can help, we do appreciate it. Couple things to note. Our pirate radio broadcast, Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, is returning to the airwaves of DubLab on Sunday, August 16th. From 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 to 11 Eastern, you'll hear RFAD favorites, including my show, Range and Basin, 
Tyler Wilcox's Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, Marty Sartini Garner's Personal Sky, and this month, special presentations of William Tyler's Sea of Glass and Ben Kramer's The Tonight Zone. Head over to dublab.com, and of course, we'll have notes and more for you over at aquariumdrunkard.com. As we head out, one other reminder. On August 29th, we're teaming up with the folks at Org Music to present a vinyl record, The Lanyap Sessions Volume 2. It'll be available only at independent record shops. So to close us out this week, we've got a little infomercial for you about it. Okay, hang in there, stay safe, stay smart, and keep your heart open. We'll be back next week with more Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Introducing Langyep Sessions Volume 2 from Aquarium Drunkard and Org Music. 13 of your favorite artists covering hit songs all in one place pressed on high quality clear vinyl. Available exclusively for Record Store Day 2020, Langyep Sessions Volume 2 features such tracks as Can't Hardly Wait in the style of Michael Cronin. Bony Vare's Blood Bank by the Mountain Goats. I'm in love with your I'm in love with your and Eyes playing Lucinda Williams' classic, Too Cool to Be Forgotten. You can't get Langyep Sessions Volume 2 just anywhere. Beginning August 29th, this incredible vinyl compilation will only be available at independent record stores participating in Record Store Day 2020. Head to www.recordstoreday.com to find a store near you. That's www.recordstoreday.com. Don't miss your chance to own this collection of hits featuring Kevin Morby, Damian Gerardo, Aaron Ray, Mountain Man, and many more.